Very thankful for what the Lord did. A number of teens come, came out yesterday and uh, had to trust Christ during the rally yesterday, which was a blessing. And uh, also, a couple of the men were out making some visits yesterday morning, just one block over, and got to lead an 84-year-old lady, I think, to the Lord and her son yesterday. So, and uh, praise the Lord, God's not done until He takes you. So we're thankful that she got to hear the good news and trust Christ yesterday. Be praying as we visit with those folks and follow up with them this week and try to encourage them, help them as they grow in the Lord. We don't want to just help birth babies and leave them to fend for themselves, right? And uh, so now becomes sometimes more work, right? Because we want to invest in these lives and help these people grow, help them learn the truth. And because we believe what the Bible says, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We believe that there's freedom in Christ. And uh, we believe that peace can only be found through Jesus Christ. The world's looking for peace all around, and, and peace, peace, there's no peace, right? And, uh, but we can find the peace that passes all understanding that comes through Jesus Christ as He keeps our hearts and minds. We're so thankful for that. I'm glad you're here this morning. I hope the service will be a blessing to you today. We have some very special things today. After I pray, we'll sing another song and those kind of things. But in a few minutes, uh, Brother James Collard's going to give a brief testimony. Uh, he's going to be able to take a mission trip here in a few weeks. And I wanted him to share that with you so you could be praying about that, praying with him as he goes and serves the Lord in that way, as he goes down to the Dominican Republic and uh, for a couple weeks down there. And so it's a good opportunity. I'll let him tell you more about that. And, uh, of course, after the service today, uh, many of our folks have been working hard to prepare. We're going to have tacos, tacos for days. Not for days. We'll probably eat them in 20 minutes. But we'll have a lot of tacos, and I hope that you'll stay and have lunch with us today. So thankful for even all the group that's here from Colorado. They came in to help us this week with some of our teen things that we're doing tomorrow night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock each night. We're having a special teen evangelistic outreach that doesn't take the place of our normal midweek service. We'll be in there, in here while they're out there. It should be an exciting night for sure. But I uh, hope you'll be here for that on Wednesday night. But teenagers, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And if you can, they'll be going out and inviting other young people from our community each day to join us for that. And we're just praying for a wonderful time of fellowship and a wonderful time as the gospel goes forth and praying for souls to be saved and lives to be changed through the power of the gospel. But let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Because, boy, we can get busy, can't we? But without the Lord, we have nothing. So let's ask Him to bless us this morning. Father, we thank You for this day. Thank You for an opportunity once again, once again to gather together to worship You, to praise You. We thank You for what happened even yesterday uh, through our church as people ministered here and in the community and, and souls trusted You. Lord, I pray for those folks. I pray that You'd encourage them, help them to grow. Help us to uh, really take them under our wing and really lead them forward in their faith. Father, I pray for those that are away today. I know several are traveling. Keep my wife safe as she's with her family uh, over in Atlanta this weekend. And Lord, I thank you for those that are able to be here today. Lord, I think of those who can't be here today. Some, um, I think of Angela Cruz today. I pray that you'd just bless her body and strengthen her, Lord. And I pray that she'd be able to recover and, uh, Lord, that you just help her as she continues to walk with you and go through some of the difficulties that she has now, Lord, as a result of her physical limitations. But we thank you that you are enough to give us the strength that we need each day. Lord, I pray that you'd bless our service today, all the rest of the singing, uh, that you'd bless the preaching, that you'd work through our hearts, that you'd speak to the boys and girls as they go out to junior church in a few minutes. Lord, that you'd just bless even our fellowship as we enjoy a meal together today. Lord, you've given us so many blessings, and we thank you for them. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But this morning, right after the service, I want to just make note, there's going to be a couple of very important things going on. And you said, we already talked about the food. This is not the food we're talking about. There's a vacation Bible school meeting. If you're interested in helping with VBS later this summer, and that'll be at the end of July and uh, into the first part of August there, just one week of time, uh, meet over here with Brother James and Angela Collard, and uh, they'll be able to give you more information about that. We're expecting a great turnout this year, and we had a wonderful turnout last year, and so thankful for new families in our church. I just see the Johnsons right here this morning, and thankful that we got to meet them during Vacation Bible School last year. 
And so I hope you can be a part of that in some way. You said, maybe I can't even be here this week. There will be some things that can be done even in advance. Maybe you can do some things at home to help prepare some things. So just come find out more information about that. And then also during the month of June, on Saturdays coming up, we will be doing a park outreach just at our local park here where we are going to put on a Bible club for boys and girls on Saturday evenings. And Tom Dewana is going to be heading that up. By the way, it's good to have Tom back. We've missed him, and uh, we're thankful for him. He's been out of town for a month or more, actually, visiting family. Brother got married, various things, and, and uh, we're glad that he's back with us. And he's hiding in the back, of course, taking care of us this morning and running sound and, and doing a great job there. But uh, he's going to need some help to do that. And maybe you can help all the Saturdays. Maybe you say, I can just help one of those. Whatever it is, make sure you see Tom. So there'll be two things happening. And you may say, well, I need to be in both of them. We'll let the VBS do their piece first because there'll be more people in that. And then those that can help Tom, just visit with him. And uh, if he doesn't get enough help, we'll chase some people down. We'll make sure we get this done one way or another. And that'll be great. So that'll be a great time. Also, in just a few weeks, we are going to have a very special friend day. And I hope you'll bring a friend with you to church that day on June the 23rd. And men, June the 22nd, boy, write this down. This is our men's barbecue night at 5 o'clock on the 22nd. I was looking for a picture to do this slide, and I thought, just put fire up there, and uh, we'll understand what that means. Brother Larry has already been stockpiling brisket for us in the freezer, and so the meat's there. It just has to be prepared, and uh, then we will eat lots of meat and enjoy time fellowshipping together, but we're also going to have a wonderful challenge to the men that come that night from God's Word. So maybe you have a friend that you've been trying to invite to church, and he won't come to church with you on a Sunday, but maybe he would come eat barbecue with you on a Saturday and uh, if you were my friend and you invited me, I would probably come just for the barbecue. Uh, but you can let them know there'll be a Bible message as well. And we'll look forward to that special night. It'll be at 5 o'clock, June the 22nd. So a lot of things coming up in our near future. But these are I shared this with our church just a few weeks ago. We have some tremendous opportunities to be able to reach out, be an encouragement in our community to people all around us, and uh, be able to help them and encourage them in the Lord. And uh, we want to be just a part of those things. Last Sunday morning, I mentioned and shared with you some of the plans we have of even doing some remodeling and trying to maximize our space here. As you can see, we're filling up and we need to just maximize that a little more. Our nurseries are filling up. We need to expand them a little bit more. Uh, we want to make a few adjustments here and there. And uh, if you were here last Sunday, you heard kind of our big budget number that we're trying to raise. And uh, we're trying to, we're praying that the Lord would provide $125,000. It's a lot of money, but uh, if God doesn't give you all of that to give it all, pray what God would have you do. Maybe you could just do a little bit. Maybe God will bless you. You could do a little bit more. Isn't it interesting, though, as you study in the scriptures about giving, I think the Bible teaches clearly it's about the heart of the one giving, Right? And you read about the, that, that day when all the people were coming into the temple and they were throwing in their big gifts and everybody was noticing those people. And then there was the widow that came in and the Bible said she put in two mites. But Jesus said that she gave more because she gave all that she had. And I would just ask you to pray. Say, God, what would you have me do? What's my all? What, what can I do? I want to do my very best for the Lord. And I've seen this happen over and over again and I believe this to be true. When God's people do their very best... God takes care of things. God makes up the difference. And whether or not all that money comes in up front, you've already heard me talk about that last Sunday. We know God's going to provide in His time. We'll just take that as a sign. We need to move a little bit slower. That's fine too. This building is not the church. Uh, all of us are the church, and we're trying to reach people, but we're just using this as a tool. So we think these could be some things to help us. And uh, so last Sunday, we passed out some cards for you to see. Next Sunday, we'll take up an offering towards that. If you can give next Sunday, give. If you say, I can't give next Sunday, but I want to think about what I can give. I've been praying about what I can give. Write in a number there. Over the next six months, by God's grace, this is what I'm going to give. If God doesn't supply it, you can't give it. We understand that. We only give as God gives to us. But if God provides and you're able to do something, do that. Pray. Ask God what He would have you to do. And we'll trust God to do what He wants to do. Because we know God is good at that. And uh, so we'll just be looking to see what he does. Well, Freddie is going to come and read to us from God's word here. 
And then, I'm sorry, I got out of order. James is going to come give a testimony to us. Then Freddie's going to read to us from God's Word, John chapter 18. Then our group from Colorado is going to come sing. James. Pastor Will gave me the opportunity to share a little bit this morning. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I get to take a trip down to the Dominican Republic. Um, I'm going with a group of about 30 guys from around the country. And the name of the trip is called Play Ball. Um, it's run through Baptist Missions, uh, which is a Baptist uh, missionary organization out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, but the whole point is to work with young men ages 6 to 13, uh, coaching baseball and preaching the gospel. And so uh, every morning uh, we run a three-hour clinic from 9 to noon. Uh, we'll bring in anywhere from 120 to 150 young men. Uh, we split them into six groups. Uh, we run them through six different stations. We have infield, outfield, hitting, throwing, base running, and then they all get the gospel station as well. And so we split them. They rotate through. Um, so every young man that's there. Um, gets an opportunity to hear the gospel in addition to getting some really good quality baseball instruction. Um, last year, um, the first year that they did was 2007. My, my dad and I had the opportunity to go. I just graduated high school. Um, and so my dad's been going back every year since then. Um, so now we're in, the, so the first year we were in two different locations. Now they're running in four different locations, which is exciting. Um, so it's about 150 young men per location. Last year, um, at the site where my dad was at, they had 30 young men trust Christ, two coaches, and now there's uh, discipleship happening with the coaches that got saved, and they're starting to run Bible studies with their teams as well. Um, Friday night, after we get done, so we coach Monday, Monday through Friday. Friday night, we have a closing program that's done in the local church. Um, and so the pastor, the, the national pastors, have an opportunity to speak to the people who are there. The churches are packed out, and again, the gospel is presented not just to the young men, but we invite their parents to come, we invite their coaches to come. And so it's a huge event. Um, there's, there's, the gospel is presented very, very clearly. Um, and then on Sundays, it's exciting too. We get to get into national churches, and we get to minister with uh, we get to minister with the national churches. They have a lot of different church plants around the country. So in the morning, we have the opportunity to work at one of the larger churches. And then we go out into the mountains and work in a small work in a small church in the afternoon. Um, and so it's really, really an exciting opportunity. Um, it's a good chance to rub shoulders with, uh, with men from all around the country, um, sharing our love of sports and athletics um, and the gospel. And so um, I'm really looking forward to it. There's a couple things that you can do to help um, if you'd be willing. Um, so first of all, obviously, need prayer. Um, so working on the infield, um, the, the temperature is about the same as it is in Houston, and we're going to be at the end of June, early July, so you guys know how that goes. Um, we're outside, not a lot of shade, um, and we're coaching from 9 to noon, and we coach again from about 2 to 5. So um, it's going to be warm, so just pray that um, we'll survive, so that'll be good. <laughs> and, uh, but um, just with the weather and, and the heat, and just pray, um, pray for us in that regard. Pray the young men will come to Christ as well as they hear the gospel. The second thing would be, if you guys would be willing to help me, um, on the Friday night closing program, we take a lot of stuff down there, um, and we donate it all. We give it all away, or we give it to the national churches to distribute. And so a lot of these teams that come, they have about three baseballs per team. Uh, we come off of our bus, we're carrying five-gallon buckets of baseballs, and their eyes, like, pop out of their heads, you know, because they just don't have that opportunity. Um, and so if, I mean, the, the best thing that you guys could, would, if you would be willing, um, go to Goodwill or go to, like, various thrift stores in the area. Any kind of, like, major league sports gear, hats, um, T-shirts, I mean, if you can find gloves or even cleats, um, what I will do is I will take it and I'll ship it down there ahead of time. And so when I get down there, what we'll do is during the Friday night closing program, our kids will be running around um, in flip-flops out there. <laughs> we'll try to give them cleats or they'll have, uh, they'll have gloves that are falling apart. We'll try to give them gloves. We'll try to give them some, some major league gear. Astro stuff is very popular right now because they're quite good. And so, um, so anything, that you can find, anything that you can find along those lines. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be top of the line. Like, I mean, just, just hit the goodwill. Find what you can. Um, but if you guys, if you would be willing to do that and help me with that a um, couple weeks, even things like sunflower seeds or like double bubble things along those lines, kids love them. And so um, if you'd be willing to donate, I'll, I'll be happy to take it and ship it down there and we'll give it away um, and we'll use it to advance the cause of the gospel and the cause of Christ. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, thank you, Pastor Will. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Sidron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus said unto them, I am he, and, Ju and Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he said, had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake. Of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the, into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him, and led him away to Anas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews, that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Let's take our Bibles, turn to John chapter 18. So thankful for this group coming down. They gave up their first week of summer break to leave Colorado mountains and come to Houston, Texas. We don't come here for the weather, but we come here because there's people that need the Lord. And so thankful that they came and served with us this week. They are sleeping in this building all week. I mean... They slept in the nurseries last night, in the classrooms last night, and then got up early this morning, cleaned it all up, put it all out of the way, put everything back to normal so it would all be functional for us to use today and this evening, and then tonight they'll have to move it all back out again. And uh, thankful for them going through all that extra effort, even just to sleep, so then that they can serve us. And uh, they're already serving us and doing that. We're just thankful for them. And uh, they're cooking all their own food. They're taking care of all their stuff. And uh, just when you serve the Lord, sometimes it takes some extra work and extra sacrifice and extra time. And definitely in Houston, some extra sweat. Uh, but I'm thankful for people that would give of their time to do that. And uh, the Maliks and Pastor Nathan coming down uh, to help lead this team. And they've done such a great job, and we're just thankful for them. They'll be here for lunch. They'll be around all week. Uh, but we are going to have a little fun. We're having fun already, but uh, we're not going to make them work all week, I guess is what I'm trying to say. On uh, Thursday, we'll take them down and let them see Galveston. I don't know, have all of you seen open bodies of water before? You know, they live in a mid-country state, so they don't get to see uh, water. Of course, we don't get to see mountains here, so it's a, definitely a trade-off. And my wife, at least, would think the mountains is a better choice, so uh, she's a Colorado girl. John 18 this morning, we're continuing on in our study through the book of John. Last three weeks, we've been in John 17 as we looked at the prayer of Jesus, as He prayed for Himself, as He prayed for His disciples, and then as He finished out in chapter 17, praying literally for us, praying for those who had yet to believe in Jesus, and I think therefore He's referring to us, and I'm so thankful that Jesus prays for us, that He prayed for you, that He prays for me, and I'm thankful for that wonderful blessing to know that my Heavenly Father sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Jesus loved us enough not only to pray for us, but as we're getting closer now towards the end of the book of John, to go to the cross and to die for us. And this morning, we're going to speak a little bit about that, the cup of suffering that Jesus said, as, as you'll see down here in verse number 11, he talks about this cup which my Father hath given me. We'll get there a little bit later this morning. As we've been, as you look at God's Word, it's kind of like if you were, uh, I remember the first time I, I learned about Google Earth. And I got online and I went to Google Earth's website and I pulled it up and there was that picture of the globe. I thought, this is pretty neat. And I started zooming in and zooming in and zooming in and finally zoomed down to right where I lived and you could see your house, you know, how neat was that? Of course, now it's old technology for us, we're used to it, and of course now you can do Google, Google Street View and look at your front door and you can check and see if, uh, you know, you put the trash can out that day. I mean, it's almost there, right? And things just keep advancing and advancing in technology. But 
as you think about God's Word, it, it begins in Genesis saying, in the beginning, God, right? It's just this giant, big picture. And then as God's Word moves through, we get more and more focused. And here as we come towards the end of John, it's really getting down into the minute detail. Really, the whole book of John, you could divide it up into two parts. The first 17 chapters or so really cover the first 33 years, give or take, of Jesus' life. The last few chapters cover the last week or so of Jesus' life. So as we're getting more focused here into John chapter 18, we see then this process as Jesus now is moving ever closer to the cross. It says in verses 1 through 3, when Jesus had spoken these words, so after his prayer, he went forth with his disciples. So they left the upper room, remember where they had the Passover. And they went over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, unto the which he entered and his disciples. We know this as the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus often would spend time there with his disciples, praying. And so this was a normal thing for him to do. They go back to this garden with his disciples. How many disciples were with him at this point? Eleven disciples. So I thought there were twelve. Well, the twelfth is mentioned in verse number two. But he wasn't a true disciple. He was a false disciple. He was a betrayer. His name was Judas Iscariot. We see that in verse 2. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted, resorted there thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. As we move into chapter 18, we're in a time of darkness. I mean, it's physical darkness, it's, it's evening, it's nighttime, there's spiritual darkness as well. We see Jesus, the Son of God, as He's going to this garden to pray, but Judas, as He's coming with this band of soldiers and the, and the followers, the servants of the high priest, coming to betray Him, to arrest Him, to take him, to try him, and of course we know then to crucify him. If you go back a few chapters in the book of John, back to chapter 13, we read as Judas, as really the Bible says that Satan came upon him and he left to go and to betray Jesus. Judas was willing to betray Jesus for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a, of a slave in that time. Judas was willing to give up all of the things that he had learned, all the things that he had seen, because he wanted a little more money. We see this awful betrayal of Jesus. And I want you to notice in this betrayal, there was really an unholy alliance that went on here. Because not only was Judas betraying, but we see the Pharisees conspiring. These were the religious leaders of the day. And they were allied with the Roman government. You had the soldiers from the Roman government, you had the high priests, the Pharisees and their followers, and Judas. This unholy alliance as these three groups come together, as Judas brings all these people together. I think clearly we see Satan at work. This isn't the first time that Satan tried to defeat God. In fact, Many, many years before, we know as you read your Bible that Satan was not Satan. He was known, as, he was an angel. He was an angel of light. The Bible teaches us that he was a creation of God, that he lived in heaven. But one day, he decided that he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be equal with God. And he got a third of the angels to follow him. They tried to overthrow God. But God cannot be overthrown. God cast him out of heaven with a third of the angels, and they were cast down to earth. We know them as demons. And it is Satan as he's working in Judas, as Judas has given his life over to him to do whatever he wants to do, as Judas has chosen to betray Jesus. It's a very sad time, a very dark time. Satan now once again is trying to overthrow God. This time, for a moment, if you're one of the disciples, if you're Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
it gets to the place as they hang Jesus on the cross and crucify him, it looks like Satan won the day. Of course, as believers today, we know that he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. But think about it from these disciples' perspective. They didn't know all that yet. Sometimes I think as we look at God's Word, because we know the end of the story, we, we kind of just say, well, everything works out and it's okay. It'll all be happy in the end. When you're living day to day in your life, you can't see that, can you? You only have faith. The only thing you can have is faith in God that He'll do what He says He's going to do, that He'll complete His purpose, that He'll do and fulfill His plan. Judas, as he betrays him, he receives this band of men. So that's a group of Roman soldiers. And you think a band, four or five guys? No, this is a technical term. This refers to a portion, uh, or like a cohort is what they would be called. Most scholars agree this is probably 600 soldiers. 600 men coming to arrest Jesus. Then you add in the high priest servants and followers of him. We don't know how many people were there that night, but suffice it to say there were hundreds and hundreds that came to arrest one man. You had the, the human government, you had the spiritual or religious leadership of the land conspiring together to arrest Jesus. Now, sometimes it, I think, feels like that in our world today, doesn't it? Oh, the whole world's against us. Just us little old Christians over here trying to do the best we can. The thing is, even though when it looks dark, we serve the God who has overcome the world. John is writing down for us the details of all the things that are going on here so that we can understand here better this is not something that Judas just all of a sudden one day decided to do. This is a coordinated event to be able to bring 600 soldiers from the government and bring the religious leaders together. This was something that Judas had been plotting for a while. They come together and their desire, their focus is to take Jesus into custody and then of course to crucify him. We have Judas here. He's the leader of this group. He's a plotter. He's a planner. He's evil. You see, in Israel at this time, there were four different groups of, of religious people as well. So you had the Roman government, and it was their desire just to rule, rule the world, right? And, and as long as you would submit to them and, and call Caesar Lord, then they just would take your taxes and and as long as you didn't cause any problem, it was okay. So you had the Roman government, but then you had the religious leadership. There were four different groups of religious leaders in Israel at this time. Think of it almost like four different political parties that we might have today. You had the zealots. These were those that wanted to just overthrow the Romans and get their own leader installed. Simon was one of those. Simon the zealot. Simon Zelotes. These folks were looking for a political answer. We can solve all of our problems if we overthrow the bad leadership that we have and we get our own leader in charge. Then everything will be okay. Some things haven't changed. And I would challenge you, if that's what you think the answer is, well, we just got to get our guy in charge. We need, we need our person up there. If we were in charge, things would be different. Folks, well, I believe as citizens of this wonderful country, the United States of America, we ought to be involved, we ought to vote, we ought to do our very best. It's our civic responsibility. Politics is not the answer to this world's problems. That's what the zealots thought, though. There was another group. There were the Sadducees. If the zealots were the hyper right-wing conservatives, if you will, or the, you know, these, the crazy ones out there, they're probably carrying guns and doing this. I'm just teasing, right? Because that's okay. But that's not the answer. Then you had the Sadducees. If those were the hyper-conservatives, these have been the liberal progressives. 
See, when there was cultural pressure, they would just alter their beliefs. There was fear of man rather than the fear of God. When there was cultural pressure, they would just change the meaning to please people and not God. Well, I'm all for we ought to love people, but we don't compromise truth. You say, how do you do that? Because we live in a world today that wants to say, if you stand for truth, then you therefore hate people. That's not true. How can you love people and still love truth? Some people think, well, to love people, then that means you just have to allow people to do whatever they want to do, and it's all okay. Well, I believe you have the right to do whatever you want to do. But before God, there's also truth, and there's one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we can live in a world and love people and care for those that are hurting and we can help the sick and feed the hungry and we ought to do those things. We can even use them as opportunities. Take, take, take baseball gloves and baseball coaches and go down to the Dominican Republic and help people there and they need that. A few weeks, um, I've asked the Ngogas to give a testimony about a trip that they're going to be taking. Another opportunity to minister on the other side of the world over in Africa, as they take good news, as they take help, as they take encouragement, they need to help hurting people. But the answer is the gospel. You say, why is the answer the gospel? Because the gospel is the only thing that can truly change your life. You can feed somebody and they won't be hungry for a moment, but they'll get hungry again. Jesus, in John chapter 4, met a woman at a well one day. And Jesus offered to give her living water. He said, if you drink of this water, and he gestured there to the well, he said, you'll thirst again. But if you'll drink of the water that I shall give you, you'll never thirst again. Why? You say, well, wouldn't she get thirsty? Wouldn't she need a drink? Yes, physically. But folks, we have a bigger problem today than physical problems. We have a spiritual problem. That problem is sin. The only answer to the spiritual problem is Jesus. You had the Zealots, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes. These were those that just said, we don't want to worry about any earthly things. We're only focused on heavenly things. So they sort of just acted like nothing in this world mattered at all. They didn't really think about anybody else. It was just all about heaven all the time. And why I'm thankful for heaven, and we ought to look for heaven, and we ought to be excited about it. God's put us on this world to make a difference as we share the gospel and as we minister to hurting people. Then you had the Pharisees. This group, they, they read the Bible. They actually took portions of Scripture and would write it on little pieces of paper and put it on their, you know, strap it to their uh, wrists and to their foreheads and their arms. They, they would put God's Word everywhere. They, they knew all the laws of God. They tried to keep them. You say, I thought this was a, a bad group too. They sound pretty good. Here's the problem. They believed all of God's Word and then they added all of their own stuff on top of that. Folks, God's Word is wonderful. God's Word is truth. But when you add a bunch of things on top of that and say, well, yes, that's true, but you also need to do this, this, and this, we start writing our own Bible, so to speak. And now we have a problem. We have a problem. Because where God stops, we should stop. Where God says this is enough, then that should be enough for us. But sometimes as people, we want to add to God's law. We want to put things on top of the Word of God in addition to the Word of God because then it allows us to be in control. Folks, it's not about my authority or my power, it's about God. Too many people, even in a religious setting, are out for control. Folks, it's not our job to control people. We give the glory to God. The heart of the Pharisee was that God made laws and so do we. Right? They, they were putting themselves on the same level as God's law. And then when Jesus showed up, God in human flesh, 
they looked at him and they said, he's not biblical. He's not godly because he didn't follow their teaching. In a sense, they were more conservative than God. They were in the ditch on that side, so to speak. We had the others that maybe they they wouldn't follow God's word. They'd be off in the ditch the other side. Following God is is compared to often a, a narrow road, isn't it? A narrow path. And it's easy to find ourselves on one side or the other. Going to the right, going to the left is often because we've put ourselves in the position of leadership and ourselves in the position of importance. And instead, we have to have God's word as our direction for everything that we need to do. How sad that a group of Pharisees that claim to be followers of God were responsible for putting God to death. But folks, I would say we could fall into the same trap today. We get so focused on ourselves and our way of doing things that we step beyond the bounds of truth and we begin to write our own truth. When we make it up, it's not truth anymore. There's only one truth. Jesus is the truth. So we see this alliance between the religious leaders of the day, between the the political leaders of the day, and Judas. But the story continues on in verses 4 through 9 as we see the authority of Jesus' name. Verse 4 says, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Now Jesus knew exactly who they were looking for. But Jesus was ready to go forth. Verse 5, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Notice his answer. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. Now in in our Bible it has he there, but you'll notice it's in italics. And the reason is that when the translators put it into our language, they added that word to help us have a better understanding, make it more grammatically complete. But what Jesus was literally saying when they asked him, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus responded saying, I am. Say, why is that a big deal? Well, let let me just keep reading and then I'll explain that. Verse 6, soon as he had said unto them, here it is again, I am, he, it says, they went backward and fell to the ground. Wait a minute. Remember, 600 soldiers plus all the other guys. All Jesus does is say, I am, and they fall to the ground. What's going on here? Well, let's keep reading. Because then Jesus asked them again, verse 7, whom seek ye? And they said, once again, Jesus of Nazareth. Kind of a crazy response because the first time they asked him and he answered, they all fell to the ground. If that had been me, I, I would have hoped at least at that moment I, something would have changed. I would have said, okay, I need to rethink what I'm doing here. But they pressed forward, and Jesus answered again in verse 8, I have told you, here it again is the third time, I am he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. You see, when Jesus referred to himself as the I am, He was speaking a word that these religious leaders would have understood. This is a word, this is a name for God that goes clear back to the Old Testament. We first read about it when Moses, the Bible says, was out in the wilderness tending sheep. And all of a sudden he looks over and he sees a bush on fire, a burning bush. You say, well, that's not too unique. I mean, it's desert, it's dry, things catch on fire all the time. The difference about this bush was it didn't burn up. And Jesus sees this bush, and, or Jesus, Moses sees the bush, and it's on fire, and it's not burning up, and he approaches the bush, and to make it even stranger, a voice comes out, tells him, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. Not only is it a burning bush that doesn't burn up, it's a bush that talks. God was getting his attention. Moses removes his shoes He approaches, and God begins to speak to Moses out of the bush. And he tells Moses, you are to go back to Pharaoh. Go back to Egypt. Because if you know the full story, Moses was hiding out from Pharaoh because Moses had actually murdered a man. And so he had been out in the desert hiding and running for his life. 
But God sends him back and he says, I want you to go and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, what people? Well, of course, the Jewish people. They were enslaved in Egypt at this time. They had been slaves in Egypt for they had been in Egypt for close to 400 years, slaves for much of that time. And so Moses, he, he's hiding out. He's, he's run for his life. He's afraid. And he says, well, whom shall I say hath sent me? And God, speaking to him out of the bush, says, tell them, I am hath sent thee. I am. This is a name for God. We as we get the transliteration from Hebrew into English, it's the name of God that we would say Jehovah. The I am, which means the God who is, the God who was, and the God who is to come. He's the eternal God. He always has been, He always is, and He always will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He's the God who has all power. He's the God who has all knowledge. He is the God who is everywhere present. And he said, tell them, I am hath sent thee. See, these Jewish religious leaders now, the Pharisees and their servants, they knew this story inside and out. They knew who Jehovah was. In fact, history tells us that when the scribes were making copies of God's Word, that every time they would come to this name of God, they would use quills, of course, like a big feather to write with. They would put that one down and get a new one to write this down. In fact, we also have learned from history that they wouldn't even speak this name of God for fear that they would blaspheme. They treated this name of God with extreme carefulness. And now here Jesus, two different times, tells them, I am. See, Jesus has great authority. And he demonstrated that just by telling them his name. And when he spoke his name, some 600 plus men fell down backwards. There's power in the name of Jesus. You know, that power hasn't gone away. I think in some ways this is a, a bit of a foreshadowing of what is going to happen at the end of time. Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us about how Jesus came to this earth. He took upon him form of a servant, made in the likeness of man, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then it continues on. It says, wherefore God hath also highly exalted him. And given him, here it is, a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, as Jesus is getting ready to give up his life as a sacrifice for you and for me, when Jesus speaks his name, there's such authority in his name, over 600 were knocked flat on their backs. The only ones left standing were Jesus and the 11 that followed him. And folks, I want to remind you this morning that there's going to come a day where the only ones left standing will those be standing that are standing with Jesus. You have a choice. Every knee shall bow. You can either bow now, submit yourself to the Lord, or someday in the judgment you will bow then. I would urge you, bow the knee today. Don't wait. Because bowing the knee before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today brings forgiveness brings mercy, brings hope and peace, brings eternal life. And sadly, there will be many who refuse to bow until one day they stand in the judgment and every knee shall bow. Folks, this is heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff because it's the end of Jesus' life on earth. 
Often as people come to the end of their earthly life, things get really serious, don't they? I've been with some folks recently who have been at those kind of stages of life. They get a lot more serious. Things aren't as, as much fun in games anymore because they're thinking about the harsh realities of life and death. And it's easy for us to sort of want to kick that can down the road, so to speak, in our lives. I'll worry about that someday. I'll, I'll deal with that later. I, I understand that, but I've got life to live. I've got more important things to do. Folks, there's nothing more important than what you do with Jesus. Bow the knee. Jesus speaks his name. There's great authority in his name. And, and all of these people fall down. Jesus then, though, he speaks again, verse 8, says, I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. He's speaking about his disciples. He said in verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me. Have I lost none? You say, what about Judas? Evidently, Judas hadn't been given to him. You say, well, he, he pretended to be a follower of Jesus for a while. Yes, he did. But Judas had not given his life to Christ. Folks, don't be a pretender. Because Jesus never loses one that he's been given. Jesus speaks. Everybody listens. And then we see one more character in this story. And he's quite an interesting character. Verses 10 and 11. We read a little bit about Peter. Peter is maybe your, I don't know, for some of you might be your favorite disciple. Because Peter, for me, reminds me of me. Peter is very impetuous. Peter is ready to act. He's ready to go. He goes from one moment here in verses 10, 11, chopping off a guy's ear, to the next moment, a few moments later, he's there and a, and a little girl comes up to him at a fire and says, aren't you a follower of Jesus? No, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I mean, how can he go from one extreme to the other? Because he's just like you and he's just like me, right? He, he's emotional, he's passionate, he's got energy. But it's often misdirected, misplaced, lack of focus. I mean, think about this. You've got Peter, he's a fisherman, but he's got his sword strapped on that night. You know, he's ready to do something. Why is a fisherman carrying a sword? I don't know. But Peter, he was ready to go. And then all of a sudden you have 600 plus men. I mean, Roman soldiers, these are trained fighting men at the time, the best fighting men in the world. Oh, Peter, that doesn't bother him one bit. You know, whip his sword out. It's me against the world, right? Sometimes that's how we live, isn't it? Peter took a moment where the focus was on Jesus and he tried to turn it to himself. That's what happens when we get busy doing our program and we end up looking pretty foolish instead of doing what God wants to. I mean, think about it. He pulls it out, going after somebody tough, and he picks on the high priest's servant. Probably the one guy there who didn't have a sword. I mean, this guy, he's the high priest servant. They probably got him out of bed at 3 in the morning. He's just there half asleep. And, and that's the guy Peter pulls his sword out. And he can't even get him in a place where it really hurts. All he does is chop off his ear. You think of all the things you could hit with a sword. I don't know. I've never chopped at somebody with a sword. If you want to come, we can try it sometime. I'm just kidding. We won't do that. But uh, he, he, he doesn't get anything except for the guy's ear. What a moment. Can you imagine? I mean, Peter is risking his life here. But it's a misplaced, misplaced energy. Jesus knew that he was headed to the cross. Jesus was submitted to the will of God. But Jesus has Peter, this follower of his, who is courageous in one moment and then later not very courageous at all. He's either scared or he's not scared. Aren't you thankful, though, that God uses Peter's? Because if you just keep turning over in your Bible a little bit further, you get to the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, here's Peter standing up and preaching to thousands of people, and 3,000 trusted Christ that day. I like what the Bible says. I think it's over in Corinthians when he says, it's not many mighty or chosen, not many wealthy after the things of this world, but God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. If you feel 
maybe average or below average this morning, you're in good company. God can use you, and He wants to use you. Folks, those of us who may say, no, Pastor, I I feel far above average. Folks, just submit yourself to the Lord and do what He wants you to do. Peter evidently felt a little above average in this moment. (laughs) He's ready to take on 600 guys with one sword. What does Jesus do, though? He calms the whole thing down. It doesn't say it in this passage, but you go over to some of the other Gospels. Jesus reaches down, he picks up that man's ear off the ground, he heals it. Puts his ear back on. Jesus is being gracious to the man who came to arrest him. Gets his ear chopped off, Jesus heals his ear. Jesus isn't out here to run around with a sword and chop people's head off. That's not true religion. Jesus isn't out here causing problems. No, Jesus is trying to bring restoration peace, healing. He heals this man's servant, or this this servant's ear. And he tells Peter, verse 11, put up thy sword into thy sheath. Notice the last part of the verse. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? It's really our last point this morning. Jesus drank the cup of wrath for you and for me. You say, what are you talking about, this cup of wrath? Well, as you study God's Word, you could go back to like Jeremiah 25 or Isaiah 51. We won't take time to read all of those verses now, but make a note of those. Maybe go read those chapters this afternoon. Old Testament prophets, but they speak about the wrath of God, and the wrath of God is often spoken about as being in a cup. Because if you have something in a cup, you can pour it out, or you can hold it in the cup. And God has been holding His wrath in the cup. Someday the Bible does say God's wrath will be poured out. But Jesus said He came to drink that cup for you and for me. What does that mean? That means Jesus took the wrath of God. And he took it, he bore it, he was bruised for our iniquity, he was chastised. The, the, by his stripes, as the Bible says, we are healed. Jesus took of this cup of wrath, and that's what he's saying here. The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? You go a little further on, and we read the story as Jesus in the garden there, as he was praying a little bit before this, right? You you won't see this here in John. You go to another gospel. And Jesus, as he's praying there with his disciples, he says, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. Here at this moment now, Jesus has submitted himself to God's will. God, if you want me to drink of that cup, I'll drink it. God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll take what you want me to take, even if it means giving my own life so that the souls of men, women, and boys and girls throughout all history might not have to taste the wrath of God. You say, well, wrath of God, that sounds really dark and angry. Isn't that just Old Testament stuff? No, no. God's wrath is a very real thing. Even today, it's spoken of over in the New Testament. I think in the book of Romans, we have described for us in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God's wrath in two different perspectives. In Romans chapter 1, we read in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We read about the active wrath of God that is being brought to bear on all unrighteousness. Romans chapter 2, in verse 2, we see more the passive wrath of God. Verse 2 says, Romans 2, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. You see, God's wrath is demonstrated today in allowing people to continue in their sin. But God's wrath will be poured out one day in judgment against those who sin. 
Folks, I don't talk about these things because they're fun to talk about. So, Pastor, it would be nice to get to some of the prettier passages. We'll get there. That's why we just preach through books. Because then it forces you to go through the hard things and the easy things. That's why it's important as we study God's Word. We don't get to just pick and choose what we want. It's all or nothing. Because it's truth. Jesus says he'll take the cup, the cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it. Jesus was submitted to God the Father. Jesus does God's will. You have been saved from the wrath of God by the love of God for the glory of God. When Jesus went to a, the cross, there was a cup that was full of all of your faults, all of your rebellion, all of your sin, and Jesus drank it all. Jesus took your place and endured your wrath so that you could have eternal life. It's our great honor and privilege to share the truth of Jesus Christ. But it's also your great responsibility to make the most important decision that you'll ever make. Am I going to trust in what Jesus did, the work that he did for me, the wrath that he drank so that I don't have to face it myself? Shall I not drink it? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know Jesus loves you. That's why he drank that cup for you so you didn't have to. If you know Christ as your Savior, this is the message the world needs to hear. People don't know what they don't know. Someone once said, you can't see somebody saved until they first realize that they're lost. We live in a world today that Satan, through his devices and through the lust of the flesh that people have, they go around and they feel like they're okay. Everybody else has problems, but I'm okay. That's kind of what the world says. It would all be okay if we would just all learn to get along together. Folks, that can't happen because of our sin. The only way there's peace is through Jesus Christ. That's a great message we have to share. But a final application for us who are here this morning to say, Pastor, I'm so thankful God has forgiven me of my sin and I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. If God asked you to do something, would you be able to say like Jesus, the cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Would you do what God asked you to do? Would you be obedient to His will for your life? You say, well, I don't know what that is. I'd love to be able to help you understand what that is. Because God's Word is very clear about what God wants you to do. God has a plan for each and every person. And think about this. How sad to live your whole life and not do what God wants you to do. Say, what a waste. Say, well, what? I've already wasted a lot of my life. I've lived a long time. Is it even worth it to try to do anything differently now? Yes. That's why you're still here. If God was done with you, he could have taken you out long ago. <laughs> You're here because God wants to use you. You're here because God has a plan for your life. Even if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're still here because God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's because he loves you and because his patience endures. But don't test that patience. Turn to Christ today. If you know Christ as your Savior, live for Him today. Don't wait till tomorrow or next year. Wait till I have more money in my bank account or wait until you know, I, I get to the next level at my job or wait till I retire. or wait. We always have another reason why I can't do it today. Pastor, I'd really like to, but just too busy. Folks, we're busy about the wrong things if we're too busy to serve God. Well, I've got family pressures. Don't we all? Well, I, folks, we can come up with excuses or we can just bow the knee. Say, God, you're my king. 
and I'll do whatever you want me to do. I would challenge you to do that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Jesus said, The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Say, you say this all the time, Pastor. Yes, because it's important all the time. And that would be so sad for somebody to go away not having trusted in Christ as their Savior. If you haven't done that, this morning when we pray, I'll pray. You can call out to God right where you're at. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to save you. And He'll do it. So I don't know what to say. Talk to God just like you'd talk to me. And if after the service I can help you or somebody else, we can have somebody come alongside you and make sure you understood things. But folks, don't let another moment go by and not trust in Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you're here this morning and you have trusted Christ, but you say, boy, I've been reminded this morning of what Christ did for me. And I need to be faithful to share that message. I need to be faithful to live in light of what Christ has done to forgive me of my sin. If you, that's you this morning. I pray that you do whatever the Lord leads you to do. Father, we thank you. Help us now to be obedient. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.